This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello, welcome to episode 166 of the Broadcast Podcast. Recently on broadcast, we've been bringing a series of courses called Change for Growth, looking at how we manage change successfully in different contexts. We're bringing you one of those courses here on the podcast, looking at change in the context of a church. And in this episode, it's the start of the series where we're talking to Toppy Collioso and Colin Barron about how we create urgency for change. We hope you enjoy this episode and you can find the full notes on it over on the broadcast website. Hello everybody, welcome to Broadcast. It's great to have you with us this afternoon. Uh, My name's Tom and I'll be hosting this webinar. I was reading this morning on the BBC, it said that about half of the internet is down today, loads of big websites, but we're not going to let something like that stop us bringing you this webinar, praise God. So what we're doing is we're looking at change for growth. At this season in time, a lot of people are thinking about change. There's optimism in the air, the world is reopening, and people are dreaming of possibilities and wanting to hit this season well. So from big sweeping changes to little incremental changes, people are thinking, what can we do differently? But what we know about change is that managing change is a skill. It's not easy. It's something that requires hard work and needs to be done well in order to bring people with you in that change. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be breaking down the process of change. And I've got with me Colin Barron, who's the senior leader at Christchurch Manchester, who'll be with us throughout this series. And each week we'll be joined by a guest. And today we've got Toppy Collioso from Jubilee Church in London. It's great to have you both with us today. So what we will be doing is having a conversation between the three of us about the first part of change, which is building momentum for change. Now, we've got some interesting things that we can talk about for the whole time if need be, but it will be more interesting. It'll be a better webinar if you guys ask your questions as well. And we want to make sure that we're scratching where it's itching for you. So please do use the chat function and ask whatever questions you have. And we'll make sure to integrate those into the conversation that we have. I want to start with you, Toppy, and just to ask you a little bit about your time at Jubilee. So I believe you've been at Jubilee right from the start of the church being planted and then took leadership. Was it 2004 that you took leadership of the church? Well, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thanks. Thanks. It's great to be here and uh, hope it's a blessing to everybody. But yes, well, the church was, no, the church was planted uh, in the, 1995 and then I took leadership uh, 2004, 2005. So you're right, 10, 10, 10 years on. Right. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit then about what Jubilee was like back then in 04, 05 when you first took the leadership and what Jubilee's like now and kind of compare and contrast the two perhaps? Right. Okay. So when I when we came, I was on the uh, Colin Potter who came to plant it. I was came with him and uh, on the team. Uh, when I took over uh, ten years later, the church was about eighty people uh, at that time. We had moved from pubs to schools to all kinds of buildings, uh, premises, as you can imagine. Um, 
So that's what, what it was like. It was a small church, uh, but uh, the, but a lot of good foundation had been built in. Uh, today, I think the church is in a vastly different place. Um, and of course, we're talking some 15 years later. It is diverse in many ways, generationally, uh, nationally, as there are different people from different nations around the world, which represents London and uh, racially. Uh, it meets on three different locations here in London and, um, and on and on and on it goes. <laughs> Great. So over that time, I, I guess some of that change is just the maturity and kind of growth of the church. But, um, but also to think about the changes that you've orchestrated as the leader in that time. Are there one or two changes that really stand out in your mind as the, the key pivot moments for you where you've taken things in a different direction to where they were going before? Yeah, that's a good question because you're right. There's just a myriad of changes that happen and ongoingly so. But I think when I think about it, some of the two or three key ones were just a change in the core team of the leadership. So the church went through a leadership change with me coming on and then that core team there uh, there was a radical change. There was a change there. I think there was a change in the philosophy of ministry, as in that is the appro- our approach to what the things that we believe in, and uh, and then just just uh, the emphasis on prayer and so on. So there were there were those, some of those changes. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and Colin, to bring you in a little bit as well, you've been in Manchester since the nineties, I believe. Um, Long time. Yeah, ministering in different churches and. Uh, a couple of goes at multi-site in that time. What what stand out for you as one or two of the kind of big change moments in in your ministry? Yeah, I mean, coming to Manchester itself was a big change. <laughs> moving house, moving you know part, halfway up the country, and uh, and I think actually going from planting two uh, smaller churches to get my head around how do you reach a city and. Uh, Actually thinking, okay, if I did it multi-site, which we never used that term, you know, 30 years ago, it was uh, not a term. And strange enough, when I was thinking of change, um, that was a big change for me and definitely a big change for people who were overseeing me because they just couldn't get their head around it. For people who joined, it actually seemed very natural because actually from get go, (laughs) we said it. So the interesting thing for me is I had more conversations trying to convince people who were trying to help me than I was trying to uh, do the church, which is interesting. I think the other thing, as I, I think I went to, planted, then went to America, came back, I actually thought I was going to do something different. We hired Hyde Town Hall, got some great musicians, started building what I thought would be a big regional church. And then after a couple of years, I thought, actually, this isn't what God wants me to do. And actually, that was a major change because I'd actually gathered people with a heart and a vision for something, you know, front, good, you know, very good quality. And so um, maybe we can get into that. But so that's for me, just thinking about two uh, pretty big change moments, as Toffee said, amongst a myriad of uh, incremental and uh, not so incremental changes. I think one thing that I see in both of your answers are expressed in pretty different ways. Like Toppy, you mentioned the philosophy of ministry is something that shifted. And that sounds like what you're describing there, Colin, as well, moving from okay, the big meeting at Hyde Town Hall to do something quite different in nature. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, Toppy, what for you was the philosophy shift in, in the way you did ministry that happened? 
Um, yeah, so there have been two or three different ones. Maybe one key one was, uh, now we were and are a very uh, spirit-filled, charismatic church. And uh, when you're 40 people, 60 people, 80 people, there's a way that the ex- charismatic expression looks. And, and it's great, and it's good, and it's biblical, and so on. And we loved it. But as the church went through this, philosoph- this change of philosophy, the question for me was, what does the charismatic look like in a church that is now more sizable, it's larger, it's growing, it's, it's gone from a nice, if, as it were, small family to a very extended family, and people are coming and joining and adopted. So you have adults who have been adopted into the family. What does the charismatic look like? And so that shift from everything needs to be in the meeting on the Sunday morning every time, prophetic words, words, and so on, to it doesn't all have to be there every time. They will be there, and there will be no doubt in people's hearts what the expression of charismatic, that we are a charismatic church, but it's much more in the preaching, in the worship, in the prophetic words, uh, and so on. Then, then our prayer meeting becomes much more what we always were like as a small church, where it's full, full on, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine in that you'd get some people who could see what you saw straight away and like the, the size that you'd reached and the fact that the mechanism that it was working on was creaking a little bit. Uh, and others who might not have seen it quite as clearly, quite as quickly, and just that, hey, this is the the stuff that we love. Like, what's what's happening? Why is this being taken away from us? How did that play out? Were, were there people who saw it quickly? How, how did you bring people on board for that change? Not easily, <laughs> and uh, and uh, but uh, yeah, I did, but. I, I think I had to check myself a lot because I too was leaving something, was going through a change, something that I love, but I was birthed and born into as a Christian. So the person going through the greater change, frankly, was me. Um, I think, though, I did begin to bring them on by, uh, there were some, there were just different categories of people. Uh, the other elder that was with me, I needed to help him see it. And his heart was already there, but to define it for him to see was important. Uh, and then you have groups of people, some, some who are influencers in the life of the church. So I, I met with, with people one-on-one over a space, over time, uh, before I then brought it to the whole church. And, uh, and even before I brought it, I think we began to do it in certain ways. So by the time I was saying it, they were halfway there. Well, they were 40% there and then moved on. But the key, I think, for me was I needed to build on relationship, connect with them individually, help them on the journey, knowing their hearts were good, uh, and, then, and then just take it from there. Yeah. Uh, was your experience in Hyde similar to that, Colin? Did you yeah, kind of- it was very, very much so. I think um, talking to individuals, um, and uh, I think like one or two of the elders was struggling, uh, where do they fit? And so actually um, saw some of the gains, but actually some of the losses uh, was hard for them to to kind of get their head around a little bit. And uh, I think that was... Uh, probably the most difficult. And then I think some of the musicians, and we've just had some fine musicians and, you know, 
when you've got a, t- a town hall, it's, and even though we weren't filling it, everybody could see the potential and we were running worship kind of seminars and hosting lots of things and then suddenly saying actually we're going to now do this in smaller 50s 60s 70s it was just a a big a big shift and uh, probably in all my ministry that was probably the most the time that was most difficult just spending hours with people And, and actually some people just didn't get it actually and um and that for me was very painful and just trying to navigate them so that they did well. Sometimes you see them as opposition, and actually they're people, and you've changed. <laughs> you're, you're, you're changing, and to understand that actually um, you're the one that's creating <laughs> the pain in their life. And I think that actually having that mindset gives you a lot more empathy and a lot more, uh, I say, tolerance and patience with people. Yeah, I mean... Um... From what both of you are saying, there's something that we picked up that John Cotter said, that leaders often underestimate the need to get enough momentum and buy-in in the early days. And it sounds like in both of your cases, you avoided that through the time you were taking with people, through the, the lengthy process that, that you went through. Is that something that you've always done, or have there been times that uh, that you'd want to share where you, you haven't established enough momentum uh, and where change got stalled by it? Any, anything there? I, um, okay, maybe a small one. I remember as the church was growing, there was something really small. I thought, you know, we need to move. We used to do our communion time, breaking of bread. We were past the book, the cups round, the bowl round. And when we were a small church, uh, this is going to be somewhat frightening for you to hear this but we basically use the same cup we use the same cup we just pass it all around and nobody died uh, you wouldn't dare do such a thing these days out of everything uh, but i remember we got to a certain size and and i i was in the sciences and i studied the sciences and i could, this thing is just not healthy and i went through a whole journey myself of saying what stops us just having little vials and doing it that way so one sunday morning i came up and we just did it that way well I, I, that was just simple-minded of me because the, the, the near total fallout, <laughs> if I could put it that way. And, uh, and I think it was really one particular woman, kind of older woman, 80s at that time, 70s, 80s, always prayed for me. Just a wonderful English woman, always prayed for me. Being through all the changes in the life of the church, that was just too much for her. And I had to put the brakes immediately on. And I had to go to her, apologize, explain why. And then she got it. And then I did not go back and do it for quite a while again. And then when we were going to do it again, I went back to her to let, us, let her know we're going to do it now. So that gave her time to understand it, to see. And then she understood. So by the time we did it a second time, she was a champion for it. And it was a massive lesson for me as a leader that people need help. Yeah, that's good. I, I like in that example, different to the first ones, that wasn't even a, a big shift in your whole direction as a church. That was a seemingly a little tweak along the way. And yet still the, the same things are needed there. Let's talk a little bit about people and change uh, and individuals. You mentioned a bit about the core team as one of the big changes there and when Jesus talked about 
change and talked about he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and and die. You'd have thought that the response from uh, his people would have been about what he he said, but so many of their responses were really about themselves and where where they fit in the new reality. And you know, James and John, can we be at your right and your left hand? And Peter had just had this word about you'll be the rock on which I build the church. And then when he hears Jesus, he's dying. He's like, no, no, we can't have this. Like the, the thing about me being the rock, how would that work with, with all of this? Um, do you find when you're navigating your leaders through change, that that question, how does this affect me, is one of the main ones that you try to navigate them through? Um, Colin, do you want to chip in on that one to start with? Yeah, I mean, I think that in different types of change. I mean, definitely... Um, just uh, recently, we you know we were going to six sites, and uh, and we've actually we had the, the the last two we did didn't go particularly well, and uh, we've always taught our church we're not going to succeed in everything. You know, if we're going to take some, well, if we're going to be our pioneers, then we've got to take some of the hits. But what I hadn't really dawned on me is actually some one or two of my key leaders. Uh, had probably been affected more about with some of the lack of success, and uh, and and that actually took me back a bit. I because we you know I'd been so used to a little bit you know this is on course <laughs> we're doing what we said we were going to do it's it's um, and so I I realised that I really did have to navigate faith going back through you know why you know why it would be different. And then sometimes I realized I was kind of over promising. <laughs> kind of. So, um, yeah, so that I think it, it is a, a skill. I think it's also listening because I think sometimes we anticipate what our senior leaders, positive and negative, uh, will think. And sometimes we're, if we're not listening, we don't actually understand, you know, how they are receiving uh, the change. So uh, which meant, uh, as Toppy's alluded time I think if, if you do anything too rushed then that's where you get bought. Uh, yeah, how, how about for you Toppy you mentioned about changing your core team uh, was it a similar kind of process for you? Yeah I think um, I think it was um, yeah I agree I, I think it was easy for some it was easier for some people and uh, but very hard for some other people. And um, and uh, yeah, I like what you referenced about Jesus and then they're thinking about themselves. And it can sound very selfish of them when you first read that and see that. But you know, in the end, really, shepherd pastors are first sheep themselves before they're shepherds, and sheep just get anxious. Actually, sheep get anxious about changes. They get anxious about failure. They get anxious about sheep are like that. And I think sometimes the average pastor, because you're in the driver's seat and leading, you can almost forget the feelings and the vulnerability of the sheep. You begin to be much more under shepherd instead of sheep. And I think moments like this, when you have to bring it to a leader, so your role is going to have to change or such and such and such. Um, they feel they become a sheep all of a sudden, and that fragility is very important. Therefore, we have to, I find, I have to pastor them well, 
or make sure that we have we have been pastored ourselves in that time because we're going through those things as well. So everyone really, where the change is good change, righteous change, God wants to change, it's still hard change. Mm. And I think for the most part, we subconsciously, when we, when we say change, what people hear is loss, loss of power, loss of position, loss of what I've stuck, I've put into this thing. They just hear loss. And we have to somehow help them in the journey over time and patience to help them see, for us to see, actually, uh, this is necessary. And I think one key thing there is for us to show them what we're losing also uh, as a shepherd. I think, I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what, what you've said, bringing it on to the leader as a, a sheep themselves, leads nicely into some questions we've had from people attending so let, let me just ask a couple of them and someone has said is it important that key leadership are experiencing personal change before corporate transformation happens what do you think about that one uh me yeah, he, 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 uh, yeah go, go on topic i i would say absolutely yes for just those reasons i just gave i i would say it, Every major change that I have brought in the church, I have been through it to quite a long way first. And that helps me go all the way back to know what they're going to feel at each stage. Is why I would encourage pastors, when you're about to do that, you just need to take time to go back and journal. Look through your journals, what you felt at each point. Because you're likely going to feel, and God told me, and then this happened, and then I felt low, and then all the people are going to feel all of those things. That becomes a template for you as a leader. The leader doesn't go through that. He's going to drive the people. And now you look more like Pharaoh than Moses. Moses, 40 years wilderness, when they're going out, he kind of knows what this terrain looks like. He's been there before. So I think it's critical. No, I think that, that's absolutely true. I think the other flip side of it is sometimes your journey takes quite a while. Then you journey your core team and you feel like, so that could be, say, a year. And you've kind of gone over and over and over in individuals. And then you think we're there. And then you suddenly realise there's hundreds of people in the congregation that are actually just hearing. <laughs> they may have heard an announcement a year ago, we are making this process. <laughs> But they haven't been in the process because the process has gone on with you. Then it's gone on with your core team. And I think a lot of churches lose momentum at this point, almost as they're starting the change, because actually lots of people are starting a journey that you're through and you're forgetting. And I I do think that the bigger the church and the more people when the, it, you've got that uh, my friend David Devin has always said to me you've got to keep starting again <laughs> with every group of people as if they didn't know and uh, you can forget that sometimes and I think so that would be kind of that's the other side of actually going yeah yeah I, but I find just to add to that I think you're absolutely right and so if one goes through the process of I'm going through something that usually there's, even among the other pastors, there's usually another one with whom you run your thoughts past. 
Now that's another, you have to start it all over again with him, then the team. Then you, by the time I, in our case, gone through, all I've gone through four or five, all the way to the staff, where I'm now used to, I'm starting this thing all over again. And I think that helps when it comes to speaking to the church and just getting a feel for the time. And then, and then you still have to live with a healthy amount of uncertainty <laughs> that something you didn't see is going to pop out someplace. In summary, patience is the key to change. It takes a long, long time, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, can I link, link into this? Um, someone's asking about bringing in counsel from outside the church when you're thinking about whether you want to make a change. Is it from God? What role should that outside apostolic help be when you're making major change? Colin, do you want to start us? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important, but it's also important to have the right person. So I think there are different people with different skill sets. And I think, you know, I think there are people that I know can really help me make wise decisions. In, in terms of the way we're leading the church, the way we're changing. I also know there's people that can help me personally to handle myself so that actually I'm a better leader and I'm actually handling. And sometimes they're not the same people. And sometimes they are. I mean, that just is. But I do feel that, uh, you know, good businesses know what it's like to actually get the right help, the right counsel, the right... Yeah, input in. So I think for me personally, I think um, just making sure that I'm hearing wise people asking the right people the right questions, I think um, is, is, is for me, uh, very important. Yeah, I would agree completely. I think uh, uh, voices in uh, can be very helpful. Uh, but then I would also say, therefore, you want to make sure that you're building the right relationships way early on before those critical moments start, or else you're kind of listening to a person you don't completely know uh, in that sense. So I think I think it's important. I, you know, you think of Moses and Jethro and the counsel that Jethro gives him, and Jethro is coming from a completely analytical, pragmatic position, but it's, it's, it's practical wisdom. And Moses has the wherewithal to decode that thing and do what needs to be done. And so I think the leader, first of all, before he's getting the voice outside, just needs to know who he is and know there's a voice that trumps all these other voices. Nonetheless, there are things that can be learned uh, right, through, right through the process. And then, and then you take it from there. I would just be careful to not let, I, I guess I'll say, to be careful that a, that a consultant isn't taking the place of something prophetic. Yes. Because it's very alluring and makes a lot of sense often at a pragmatic level that we jump and we leap. But you, we're going to need every time more than that. Yeah. And so it's the job of the leader to put that in its place, but let it have a place. Yes. No, very good. Great. Let, let's linger on this for a little bit, because some people have been asking about prophecy and change. And uh, so, some of what we've talked about so far, the business books would say similar things. But when we're leading in a church, there are 
other dimensions to it. And hearing God for the change is such a key part of it. What, what for you is the, the process of uh, letting prophecy weigh in? Do you, do you need to have heard a prophetic word before you change? If you do hear something, how does that then make a difference to the way you bring the change to your team? Uh, Toppy, do you want to carry on since you referenced prophecy before and share what that's like for you? Well, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think it's a very important place for me um, before we bring about any change. You know, what I find is this. Very often, I'm the one that needs a revival of some sort. And out of that comes a conviction that drives everything I'm going to do. So that moment of hearing God is the key thing for me. And once I've got that, the rest I can often over time figure out in God. And so I think it's very, very, because it's, you know, it says the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. So you see the Lebanon skip like a calf. God's voice will create things to just shift and move and go. So for me, when I hear the voice of God, I'm, faith comes and I, I'm just stronger and calmer and more confident. It's when I don't hear the voice that I'm the risk of flapping around and hearing all kinds of voices. But, but, but please don't hear me that I'm going around hunting for prophetic words. I'm not. Actually, what I am doing in a practical way, I'm taking time out by myself and I'm just reading the scriptures. I'm praying and reading the scriptures. I'm praying and reading the scriptures. It's in the midst of that somewhere that something of God's voice begins to distill into my spirit and conviction begins to grow. It's something like that. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. I think uh, being conf confident that you're hearing God, being confident that yeah, you that uh, what you're looking at, what you're doing, is actually rooted in what God wants for you. And uh, uh, I have very few prophetic words <laughs> that come to me. I've got probably one or two or three that shaped me, I would say, over the last 30 years. Um, I know some people kind of almost <laughs> uh, wait somewhere. I just uh, just doesn't happen to me. But uh, but they they there are certain moments. And uh, that happened three years ago with um, Mike Pilavachi when we were away conference and uh, he prophesied over me that the dreams I had 30 years ago, got, it, they were God's dreams. And uh, that was, that's why we're doing six new sites. It was like a re really, it was a recommission I, I, um, that uh, I needed the confidence to know I was on track. <laughs> but, uh, so I think uh, they're important, but I think then, how how hearing God and then allowing as with I talked to the leadership team and others for them to <laughs> kind of navigate into it if I can do you know what I mean so actually so that they can actually find them God themselves in it <laughs> they can hear God and also bring their wisdom into it so that actually it's not just like one person up going up a mountain <laughs> and hearing God. <laughs> somehow it then becomes a corporate um, and that's a beautiful thing when actually people catch hold of it and or, or, I, or I can add to it if I can use that word in terms of wisdom and very good 
Yeah, we've got another question that's been asked there. Again, it's around a similar area. Uh, it's about how certain we need to be before we change. So do you need to be 100% certain before you initiate the change process? And if not 100%, how certain do you need to be? Yeah. Um, yeah, go on, Toffee. Yeah, um, 100%. I, I would like to be 100% about everything. I have never been 100% about anything. And um, I'm not sure where I put it by well percentages, but even I have been stunned by on a 60%, 70% uh, where I'm going for something. I don't think that's never changed in all my life of leading. What it does do though, the remaining gap keeps me relying on God. Though I did hear him, I need that gap. There's just... So, the, so that degree of uncertainty has a way of working, reliance and faith, and you keep moving. I know, no, you know, I know that sometimes as leaders, we're not careful, we can over-project, like we cast iron, no for certain. And it's, you know, when Moses stands by the river uh, and, and, and says, you know, God, what do we do? And God says, why are you asking me? I, I, you know, I mean, he's done all these miracles. The guy's led amazingly. And then God said, well, stretch out your hand and so on. There's no way that guy had a triumphalistic posture in stretching it out and looking at people like saying, you're going to be dazzled by this. There's just no way. I think the guy's just hoping this thing goes. And it does. And I think that for me is a key point of how leadership often looks. But I think if I've learned anything, it's this. As best I know how, it's not just my self in it. It's not something I want. I'm trying to do God's bidding. I'm taking my time. When I step out, there's a good chance I might fall. But I find God is faithful. And even when I deserve to fall, not having followed accurately, God has vested interests in his church. So it goes beyond me and my brilliance. And therefore, I'm not waiting for the 100%. I think to wait for 100% soon can run head into being unfaithful. I think you get up and go in the name of the Lord as best you can. And let the people know, you know, I'm doing the best I can. We don't know for certain, but here we go, kind of a thing. <laughs> Colin, have you got anything to, to add to that? No, I, I agree. In fact, it's reassuring to hear you say it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think uh, when I say self-difference, uh, having a, a vulnerability yeah. is very winsome as well. And I think it's uh, it's the kind of people who, you know, when people stand up and they're, so, they're, they're almost robotic if, in its worst case that... Uh, um, so it, it is a mixture of confidence and certainty and leadership yeah. and vulnerability yeah, and right. mixing those two. And you know, I think sometimes, I, you know, I veer both ways, I, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually and especially if I'm a little bit insecure, I definitely veer and I, I do veer quite, you know, extreme sometimes both ways, you know, almost overconfident or or kind of too self-deprivating, you know, that, uh, but it is, you know, I think it is important and it's important that people know, 
Yeah. And I think it's important because we are the body of Christ. I mean, I think actually it is, you know, knowing that, it, you know, it, everybody can hear God. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that is such an important aspect of going through change that we've got to believe that, that, uh, you know, and that's building momentum is building enough people, leadership and the church and that's, you know, who actually are hearing God, are feeling, okay, we're in this. <laughs> we, we've got some of the vulnerabilities as well. And I think, you know, that quote you did about people, leaders underestimate how much momentum they need to build is so true. Because in a sense, if, if, if you're actually with the first problem you hit, <laughs> if you haven't got enough people who are willing to go through the problem, through the back, you know, thing that's pushing you back a little bit because they're still figuring out, do we even want to get on board on this? Then uh, that's where that quote that you uh, mentioned really comes into being. It's better to take a bit of time. But also I've noticed if you take too much time, you lose momentum altogether. So you, you, you actually, you know, what we're dealing with is big issues of kind of patience and keeping things moving. <laughs> I remember when we were talking about those six sites when you were first sharing some of that with us and we kept coming back to the the story of Jonathan and the armor bearer and the way they said hey let us go and let's see what the Lord will do no certainty about how it would play out but certainty that it was the right thing to do and over the nearly a year that we've been talking about it it's interesting the way that's moved from people who were unsure people who didn't necessarily even have faith for it said okay okay we can see what the lord will do i can do that to to know hey this is so exciting let's see what god's gonna do here and the faith just rising through kind of the percentages of um uncertainty to excitement and belief and it's just a, a wonderful thing to see we know out of time i'm gonna ask one more question that someone has sent in uh, as our last one and uh, someone's asked how do we recover momentum if it's been lost and there's loads of inertia um think about challenges in coming months as we try to re-engage church communities on the back of a prolonged period of torpor uh toppy would you like to share any thoughts you have there um yeah i think um regaining momentum uh first of all just to be clear it, it can be regained it can be regained, but I think you just want to define reality first of all and not allow yourself to lie to yourself or whatever. You've got to define reality. This is where we are. I think that can be very reassuring for people to know, okay, you're seeing what they're seeing. Um, I do, what I've found by about momentum and generating it is, you know, there are rhythms in life. And if you can catch the wave right, uh, whether it's a good thing that happens or a bad thing that happens, in the hands of a skillful leader, they can craft that into biblical narrative and bring it to the people. Yes. And uh, when that, or when all of that is done in the context of prayer, prayer meetings and so on, it's amazing how it can begin to grow again. So often you're looking for the right language, you're looking for the right narrative, you're looking for the right context, you're looking to, I'll say, go again at the, about, go to the key people in the life of the church and let them see your heart for what God can do and then begin to build it slowly from there. Right. 
Colin, would you like to share? Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I think people knowing you understand what they're feeling and why they're feeling it is just massive. I think because uh, you can paint a picture of a good future, mm. but it actually is unreality <laughs> to people who feel like you don't actually know what we're feeling like. And uh, so actually going there and then exactly as Tom said, being able to navigate their thought process to actually get a, some biblical examples and some biblical context into it and actually taking people through from, you know, and, and from either cynicism or tiredness or uh, just feeling pressure of life and uh, just helping navigate people through. And, uh, and uh, I, I, so that's, I totally agree with what Toffee said. I think it is possible. I think we're, in a sense, it's part of the journey of a church. Yeah. You know, your reality is you're never always kind of doing 100 mile an hour. <laughs> There's quite often some stops and some setbacks. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and if you have momentum, don't go messing it up. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you want more resources from Broadcast on a whole range of church leadership, church planting, and pioneering context, then please do head over to www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. See you next time.